0: Hello everybody and welcome to the first episode of the Molecular Muscle Experiment podcast. It is currently the 30th of November, um, 2018 of course, and it is 4.27 US time, that's Florida, so I'm currently based at the Kennedy Space Center. So, I haven't even introduced myself yet. So, my name is Colleen Dean, and I am a research fellow currently at the University of Exeter. And I'm a postdoc on this molecular muscle experiment uh, research project. Now, one of the reasons uh, that I've decided to actually begin this podcast is because throughout my whole research research career no matter what I've researched um, the thing that has grabbed most people's attention or interest has been this Worms in Space project so whenever I've gone home or I've seen friends and they say you know what are you doing what you know what's happening at work and I say this is what we're doing the response I get is incredibly um, it's amazing and people are so interested Now currently with the um, project, we have done plenty of outreach based activities. So we go to a lot of uh, Big Bang festivals, which is where school school children, thousands of school school children can actually attend these events and learn about Worms in Space amongst many other kind of science, technology, engineering and maths um, projects. And we've also done quite a lot with the BBC on things like BBC Spotlight, we've done radio shows and everything like that. But actually what I find is Although we get the opportunity to be on the radio and be on the TV, we only obviously get a very short amount of space to try and explain what we are doing. And with the outreach events that we do, they're all aimed at school children. So there's currently this gap where we're not reaching out to um, adults who are interested in the project and having the time that we need to try and explain what we're doing, what's involved and everything along those lines. So. What the aim of this podcast actually is, is to try and provide a lot more information about the Molecular Muscle Experiment, what's involved, why we're doing it, what we're trying to achieve, Uh, One of the more common questions is why we're using worms and also because I'm actually currently out at the Kennedy Space Centre, I'm going to have the opportunity to uh, speak with people that are here working on international teams, also people that are based at the Kennedy Space Centre full-time, so I'm going to be able to grab them and have a chat with them about what their job role is and and what it is that they do to make things like this happen. So that's very, very exciting. Um, Also on upcoming shows, what we'll also do is we will have questions from the general public. So if you do have any in particular, please do um, send them to me. You can do this through a direct message on Twitter. Our handle is at worms underscore space. Now what's really important to emphasize is that we are scientists trying to do a podcast. So this is not going to be the finest bit of media you have ever heard, of course, by any means. The music's probably going to be clunky. It's all going to be put together in a mishmash way, um, so please don't expect um, award-winning shows coming through, but I will endeavour to try my best. So after the world's longest introduction, without any further ado, let's get into the first episode. So for this podcast, um, I have an interview with Dr. Christopher Gaffney who is working on this project. This interview has actually occurred over a period of two days because we are super, super busy out here at Kennedy Space Center between all of the lab work. So we've fitted it in wherever we can. Um, So here it is. Right, well, welcome to the MME podcast. You have the privilege of being our first uh, participant, so please Thank introduce you. yourself.
1: Hi, I'm Chris.
0: And can you please say hello to our listeners? Hello. Right, so, Chris, please tell me what what's your current position?
1: So, I'm currently uh, a lecturer in sports science in Lancaster Medical School at Lancaster University.
0: And for our listeners out there, could you just tell us a little bit about your background? So, what you did to get to that position? Um, and yeah.
1: Sure. So um, my undergraduate degree was in sport and exercise science that I completed at Liverpool John Moores University. I then did uh, a master's degree at King's College London in space physiology and health. That's where my kind of love of space flight and its effects on the human body kind of came about. I then did uh, a PhD in metabolic and molecular physiology at the University of Nottingham. Uh, I did my 1st postdoc at the University of Nottingham. Moved to the University of Exeter, did a second postdoc there, where I was involved with some of the spaceflight work, and then after that, I moved to Lancaster University.
0: So, from that, what, how did you end up on this project? So, if you're from Lancaster, how are you involved in this?
1: So, uh, when I started my second postdoc at the University of Exeter, this was um, continuing to work with Dr. Tim Etheridge at Exeter and Professor Nate Shevchek at Nottingham, who. Who's one of my co-supervisors during my PhD. Um, that particular postdoc position was funded by the BBSRC on this current project. Um, when I moved to my uh, now faculty position at Lancaster University, um, I've main- maintained a collaboration with those, those two scientists, and so I have a, a similar role on the project, just as a collaborator as opposed to a postdoc.
0: Perfect, very, very interesting. Thank you for that. So, what exactly is your role on the Molecular Muscle Experiment?
1: So, I'm a collaborator on the the UK team that's led by uh, Professor Nate Scherfchek and Dr Tim Etheridge. Um, Essentially my role is trying to uh, maintain all of the UK stocks since I've been out in Florida and maintaining the stocks of our Greek collaborators and then essentially um, supervising some of the other teams, Japan, South Korea and the American teams when we're in
0: the lab environment. So since you've arrived at KSC, because you've been here for how long now? Uh,
1: for three weeks now.
0: Three weeks now, so what what does that mean on a day-to-day basis for you? So what have you actually been doing, you know, when you get in in the morning, and obviously you've been having like 17-hour days, right? No, <laughs>
1: um, no, not quite. So um, so the first thing that we did was we had um, all of the equipment shipped to us. So when we first arrived in Florida, the, the lab was completely empty. You know, we had everything ordered in, so it was a brand new lab essentially. So. Myself and Dr. Pollard had to set up the lab from scratch. We had to check everything was there, do an inventory, uh, get all the worm strains in from different parts of the world that have been shipped in, do health checks on them, um, and then establish a working lab, so establish all the stocks of all these different strains. Day-to-day basis has been keeping those strains nice and clean, so making sure uh, if we needed to, we've done bleach preparation, so this is where you uh, bleach the worms to remove any sort of bacteria, you release the eggs, Mm -hmm. you start a brand new fresh stock. And yeah, essentially sticking to a timeline, making sure that we've got worms good to go by launch.
0: Indeed. So for those people out there that that don't know or don't work with worms, so obviously with this podcast, what we're hoping is that the listeners are going to be a very uh, broad range of people from scientists and non-scientists, people that are just interested or people that just want to listen. Um, So... What does the molecular muscle experiment mean to you? So what is the importance of this research? What about this is why you're doing it, why you're interested? Who are you hoping to help with this research?
1: So I think there's, there's, there's two aspects of this. I think the first aspect is it's the first UK-led experiment on board the International Space Station, which is a massive thing. This paves the way for future missions. The space station itself is nearly 20 years old. The fact that there's not been a UK-led experiment until this point is a big deal, so we're proud to, to be leading the way with that. The second aspect of this is this will be the most comprehensive study of muscle loss in space that's ever been conducted. So the purpose of this experiment over, overall is to understand the molecular mechanisms of why we lose muscle in space flight. So we're testing various different drugs. Uh, we're testing different mutant strains. So these are ones that have, um, for example, high levels or low levels of insulin signaling. Um, and we have to see whether those are um, more or less affected by space than something that's normal. And this way, by understanding this more um, more thoroughly, we're able to apply this to conditions on Earth to help things such as diabetes, muscular dystrophy, and...
0: so. Could you actually put this into a bit of context for our listeners? So, um, the, like the muscle mass loss on space. Why, why are we researching that? And and can you kind of give us some like facts or figures that we might be able to apply or understand? Of
1: course. So, um, so astronauts exercise on a daily basis on the International Space Station. This won't. It won't stop muscle loss from occurring, it just slows the rate at which that takes place. Now of course there's genetic variability, so some people will lose more muscle mass, and others will lose a lot less muscle mass. But it's possible that they can lose um, anywhere up to um, 40% of their strength over a six-month mission. So this is a huge, huge um, difference in physical capacity. Um, And this is a safety concern, so say for example there's an emergency situation, losing that 40% capacity over a six-month mission is huge. When we're thinking about stuff like Mars missions for the future, there isn't going to be a support crew that's there to help them get out of that.
0: So that's actually a really good point and brings me on to my next question is that, so astronauts lose muscle when they go to space, and if we want to do things like further space exploration, obviously when they get to Mars they might not be able to help themselves. So. I mean hopefully with the MME what we are actually looking at doing is through flying different strains actually actually look at some of the mechanisms underlying this loss so that we can then target it so could you tell us a bit about or or people that are listening a bit about what we already know might help these astronauts because um for anybody that's listening that don't that doesn't know is that astronauts actually exercise up on the international space station for about two two and a half hours every single day um when they're up there and even though they're doing that you know, excessive amount of exercise, they still come back to Earth, you know, barely able to hold up their own weight. So what's, what's actually happening? What do you know? What can you tell us about preventative uh, measures that the astronauts are currently taking?
1: So I guess one of the, one of the big things that we've, we've not covered so far is, um, is the element of nutrition. So nutrition is massively important. So we know when you do uh, exercise training programs on Earth, for example, you have to have adequate nutrition, so adequate protein provision, particularly of a, an amino acid called leucine, otherwise you don't see any sort of response to the muscle to that exercise stimulus. Now, one of the problems that we have with spaceflight is providing that adequate nutrition. Of course, fresh food is it's very heavy, so it's very good at the nutritional aspect, but it's very heavy, so it's difficult to send on a rocket. So a lot of the food that we send up is um, dehydrated, for example, it can be thermal treated. Um, there is a limited amount of fresh food that's sometimes sent up, but of course it's perishable. Um, and one of the other challenges we have as well is some of the micronutrients that are present in food that are really important, so vitamin C, vitamin D, for example, mm-hmm. um, are very highly affected by radiation. And of course, um, not so much with the International Space Station, but particularly on a Mars mission, where you're outside the protection of the Earth's, Earth's orbit, You know, you. know, got a lot of um, cosmic radiation, um, which means that those micronutrients are going to degrade very quickly. And so um, one thing that would have to be planned for a Mars mission is to prevent things such as scurvy, so vitamin C deficiency, and find a way of providing adequate vitamin D in the diet somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, difficult to provide through food because it degrades because of the radiation, yeah. but also they're not going to get any of that from sunlight either because they're in a, uh, a non-naturally lit environment for 24 hours a day.
0: So, I mean, we've kind of gone away from the MME experiment here. So, are we looking, or are are there any kind of nutritional interventions that we're doing with this experiment, or can you tell me a little bit more about the actual strains that we're looking at? What what kind of mechanisms are we going into? So, I know you mentioned insulin signaling, but can we talk about that in such a way that we can understand more?
1: Sure. So, um, so I guess there's um, there's kind of an intimacy between and. Um, what type of strains we're using in nutrition. So we're using two particular strains that have uh, either high levels or low levels of insulin signaling. Mm -hmm. So insulin signaling is uh, the pathway that's responsible for the rate that we age, so the rate that we get older. And it's also, of course, responsible for people who develop diabetes that see changes in this pathway. So uh, typically in humans, this, this pathway is manipulated by diet. By using C. elegans as a model, we can manipulate this pathway without needing to manipulate nutrition. So the lessons that we learn from using these high and low levels of insulin signaling in the mutants, we can apply this to nutritional states in humans.
0: So trying to again understand it slightly more. So if you've with the MME experiments, so we've got these worms, they're either uh, have a mutation for the signaling pathway. So if they have, for example, that pathway not happening or or there's something about that pathway that means it's working less, what does that mean? What what does that mean if we then see something about these worms? So if we don't have that pathway, and then these worms come back to us from the International Space Station back to Earth, and then we actually do some analysis on these worms, and we see that actually, yes, their muscles don't look as healthy, what can then we take away from that? Or what would would you then do next to actually try and act on that bit of information or data that we're looking at?
1: So we know from um, experiments that have been done within the aging field, for example, that uh, reduced flux or reduced activity through the insulin signaling pathway um, can extend lifespan, so you live longer. It makes you less resilient for disease, so there is some uh, caveats to that, it's not all positive, but we know that that's a general observation. What we don't know is that with spaceflight, whether you see the exact same mechanism of how that happens. And what we can do with this potential flight is pinpoint where in the insulin signaling pathway this happens. So say for example on Earth, people who live beyond 100, so centenarians, have a particular mutation in something called FOXO3A, so this is a transcription factor. So we know that the reason why they live beyond 100 is because they have this very specific mutation. Or one of
0: the reasons at least. Or one (laughs) of the
1: reasons that they have this. Um, Now if we can find out um, in the space worms where their specific mutation is that allows them to be resilient to muscle loss in space, and we can, attry, can then try and apply that to conditions on earth to try and understand things and maintain health.
0: So if you could sum up the MME experiment in less than 30 seconds, but give me why we're doing it, what we're doing, and what we think we might find. Hit me. Three, two, one, go. <laughs> no, not physically hit me. Can you, <laughs> abuse, abuse. <laughs> you, now I'm gonna count you down again. Three. Two, one, go.
1: So the Molecular Muscle Experiment is looking at the molecular mechanisms of why we lose muscle in space. What's the next question?
0: Oh, no. Also, what I want you to do is put it in more of a lay terms. So in lay lay terms, terms. can you sum up the MME in 30 seconds and say why we're doing it, what we're doing, what we're going to find? (laughs) That's three questions. Lay terms, why why we're doing it, what we're doing.
1: Right, why? We're trying to understand why we lose muscle loss in space. How? What? We are sending some microscopic worms, so very, very tiny worms to the International Space Station um, that are particular mutants or are treated with particular drugs to see how they are affected by space flight.
0: And what do you think you're going to find?
1: We're going to find out.
0: You think you're going to find? We think
1: we're going to find out (laughs) Why they are affected by spaceflight differently, and this is important to understand more about conditions on Earth.
0: Thank you very much, but we're not finished. So let's move on to the worms. So please can you tell us um, tell us a little bit about the worms. So why are they a really, really good model for us to use instead of humans? I mean, it's one of the, the biggest questions we get is, you know, why are you using worms? Because it seems like such a strange model um, to the public, so please tell us.
1: Sure, so um, C. elegans is a, a model organism that is um, used heavily in scientific research. Um, one of the reasons it's, it's quite heavily used, it was the full, first multicellular organism to have its entire genome sequenced, so this means that we understand all of the genetics and how that works within the worm. Um, it was actually the subject of a Nobel Prize, so the person who um, essentially discovered the organism and its utility and research a guy called Sidney Brenner, who is at Cambridge um, kind of set this up as a model for us to use. Now in terms of for the spaceflight research, this is very useful for us because they're very small, they're around a millimetre in length, and they have a lifespan of around two to three weeks, um, and they have lots of babies as well, so they eat their typical brood size is between two and three hundred eggs, and this means that they can produce lots of progeny, and so we can learn lots about them in a short space of time.
0: Awesome, so pretty good model for us to use then really
1: awesome model for us to use and
0: must be cheaper they're
1: cheap they that's the cheap. best thing about them they're small mm-hmm. and they're cheap
0: okay so what what I think a lot of people are interested in as well is about the kind of life cycle of a worm yeah and um, because a lot of people use this model for things like aging experiments and things like that because of the short time that they are actually alive and um, so compared to us could you tell us a little bit about the life cycle how long they spend in those kind of stages of life
1: Sure, so um, going from being uh, what we call an L1, which is a a baby worm, um, you're looking at around 72 hours um, to get from this L1 baby stage to an adult stage. Um, This is at 20 degrees and then at this 20 degree temperature they have a lifespan of roughly around 3 weeks. Um, But they're what's known as a poikilotherm and this means that their uh, chemical reactions within their body are dictated by the temperature of the environment. So if we increase the temperature to 25 degrees, the chemical reactions in the body go faster, so they have a shorter lifespan, and if you reduce the temperature to 15 degrees, this slows all the chemical reactions in the body, and this means that they have a longer lifespan.
0: And how long is that lifespan? So if they spend like, you know, 72 hours getting to an adult worm, then how long do they actually live for beyond that?
1: So they'll live for two to three weeks after that, once they become adults.
0: Right well thank you so much Chris for being very patient we've had to do quite a few outtakes on this actually so uh, we have got to the end if you wouldn't mind just giving us an interesting fact about worms um, and if you can do it within the context of space that would be even better.
1: Sure so um, I guess one interesting fact is um, one of the last times that worms were flown in space was um, at the time of the Columbia disaster so um, there's actually a Worms in Space experiment that took place on on, on that particular shuttle mission that was led by Nate Scherf, Professor Nate Scherfczek who's uh, involved with this experiment. Um, and one interesting fact is that despite the disaster, um, the worms actually survived the atmospheric breakup of, the, of that particular shuttle. So the, uh, the worms were recovered um, and some valuable um, scientific information
0: was recovered. That is incredible. I mean, obviously incredibly sad, um, but incredible that these tiny microscopic worms are able to kind of resist those kinds of temperatures and I guess impacts as well. So yeah, that really yeah. is interesting. Yeah. Hopefully our listeners will enjoy that. And a uh, final thing, what are your plans now for the MME? We are currently on the, what, 1st of December today? So yeah, 1st? 1st of
1: December. So my plan is to fly back to the UK tomorrow. So I'll arrive back Um, UK time, Greenwich Mean Time will arrive on the 3rd of December, Um, and I've got a few interviews lined up to talk about um, MME um, and the space flight experiment.
0: Well, I look forward to seeing you all over the news, hopefully, and I'll continue to um, plug up people's Twitter feed with the MME Twitter. Awesome. Thank you so much so to all the listeners i hope that you have enjoyed today's podcast found it uh, at least slightly insightful and um, don't forget if you do have any questions then please do direct message us using our twitter which is at worms underscore space and um i think that's correct at least anyway it is. Uh, to- <laughs> thank you tomorrow um hopefully we will be releasing these daily i will try my best um squeeze it in where we can and hopefully our next interview will be with uh, Dr Amelia Pollard so somebody who's very much on the ground with this project and we're going to get a rundown on actually the step-by-step process that we are going through as a research team um, to get those space worms on board so uh, stay tuned.